1: or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word.
0: Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are so awesome. God, we just thank you for giving us the opportunity today to be able to speak into people's lives again. And God, we thank you today that family matters. Our family matters. It matters what we do. And God, we just thank you, God, that you'll help us and strengthen us. And God, to be better parents, to be better children. God, just to have a more better home, a home life, God, and just to honor you in everything we do. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. Come on, you can do better than that. Shout amen in the house. I think this has really been, I know personally for myself, a real eye-opening and challenging and life-changing series. I don't know how it's worked for you, but I know it's really worked for me. I know I've been challenged just preparing the messages, preaching the messages over and over again. And, And I pray that my marriage, I pray that my home, I pray that my family is a better place because of this. Come on, and I, I've got a great marriage, I've got a great home, but there's always room in anything for improvement. Do I hear an amen? And the improvement starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with us doing what we need to do. Come on, say with me today, family matters. Come on, say it really loud, family matters. Come on, let's make it personal. Are you ready? My family matters. Come on, say it one more time. My family matters. So the scripture that we've been looking at throughout the entirety of this month is Psalms 101 verse 2. Psalms 101 verse 2 says this, I am doing the very best I can and I am doing it at, come on help me out in the house, I'm doing it at where it counts. I'm doing it where it counts the most, where it is most important for me to be the life that God has instructed me to live. It's not just out where everyone else can see, but it's at home behind closed doors with my family, with those closest to me, those that can maybe excuse the most of my life. But yet I shouldn't live like that. I should live the best that I possibly can where it matters the most, where it is most important as that is in my family. We have been preaching and teaching to you all month. Your number one ministry in life is your family. It's your home. It's your marriage. It's those around you. And I like what Pastor Wayne Austin said when he came on Wednesday night. And if you missed Wednesday night, wow, you missed Wednesday night. It was phenomenal. And he said this, he says, my family is my ministry and my ministry is my family. Say that with me. My family is my ministry and my ministry is my family. And last week we began to look at how we can step off the crazy cycle where we're just reacting, we're not responding properly, where things are pandemonium, it's just out of control and things really need to change. And we looked last week at how we can step onto an energizing cycle, how we can begin to build, how we can begin to develop and we can strengthen and we can make our homes a nice place to be. We don't want to circle around the block three times dreading to go home. We want to have peace. We want to have unity. We want to have blessing. We just want God to be glorified in our homes. And that's not a spiritual statement. That's reality. Come on, we want practical application of love and of joy and of happiness just to be present in each one of our homes. So we're looking at how can we be on the energizing cycle. And the energizing cycle basically is this. A parent's love motivates a child's respect. Parents need respect in the home. A child needs love. So as a parent loves their children, that will motivate them to respect their parents. See how it motivates? And then as a child respects their parents, guess what it's going to motivate? A parent's love. And it's so much better to be motivated, to be building, to be developing. And we're looking at how does that happen? How can we motivate each other in the home? Parents, how can we motivate our children? Children, how can we motivate? How can we build? How can we establish? And we used an acronym of guides. okay? It's guides. G-U-I-D-E-S. We started looking at the first three last week. We looked at how we can give. Give what? Not what they want, but what they need. Understanding the differences. And that's the second part, understanding that they are different, but we must meet their need. We must provide for them because to meet their need is to unlock their heart. We talked about instructing them, giving them proper instruction, even if we haven't had the right instruction and we haven't been brought up in the right environment, we can still instill in them the right truths because God says, I want to be a father to you and I want to lead you and I want to guide you. Anyone remember that? From last week? So, we talked about guiding us, being under the right understanding and having the right instruction in our lives. And today we're going to look at the last three, which I feel are so vitally important. We're going to talk about the D, discipline. We're going to talk about the E, encouragement. We're going to talk about the S, supplication or prayer, because that's just another way to say prayer is supplication. And again, we're going to cover so much material, so much. That you're not going to be able to get it all in one sitting. And that's why we just cannot strongly recommend you enough to be taking all the notes you can. But you need to be re-listening to messages like this. I I think personally, maybe I'm just a, a little slow if I am, then just bear with me. But I think messages like this. I know most messages I listen to, I listen to at least twice and most times three times through. And, and I just, because I want to get everything I can. You ever watched a movie for the second time and enjoy it so much more because you're starting to figure it out and you're starting to know what's happening? That's what you can do with a message. You can know what's coming next, but you can listen between the lines and you can hear more and you can always gather more. So we want you to gather everything you can. So get your notebooks out, get your tablets out, come on, get your phones out, whatever it is, get them out because we want you to gather everything. So say with me, D, discipline. Come on, say discipline. 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 We're going to look at three key areas of discipline today, and that is number one, to confront. The second one, to correct. And the third, to comfort, because we're going to see that all these are part of discipline. So look at part number one of that, to confront. Confrontation is not nice. Does anyone like to confront people here? If you do, I want to sign you up. You can be my personal confronter. You can be the one that I just call. When there's a problem, you can go and sort it for me. We don't like to confront. It's not something natural. We like to kind of wangle out of it. We want to try and get around it. But we have to confront issues because if we don't, then we're going to suffer the consequences. If we don't confront the issue, we're going to suffer the consequences. Look what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. The Bible instructs us, this is one of the Ten Commandments, and it says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. What an incredible truth there that we are to honor and obey our parents. And God says, as we follow that instruction, as we do that, guess what? There's a promise that comes back. We'll have a long and prosperous life. But there's only one problem. Despite what the Bible clearly commands for our children to do, many times they do not. Come on, they don't always obey. They don't always honor. So then what do we do in a situation like that? We cannot turn a blind eye and just say, well, that's kids just being kids. Sometimes kids will be kids. But when there's a means or a need for us to confront an issue, Kelly and I have been talking about this with our kids. We've got an 11 month old in the house. It's cute right now when he spits and things like that and everyone can laugh. It's not cute when he's four and he's spitting in someone's face. Come on. It's not cute. With things like that. So why? You've got to confront issues now that may be cute now, but they're not going to be cute as they grow older and they begin to think that that's okay. So we've got to confront those issues and not turn a blind eye. We've got to deal with the issues. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 24. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son. Notice what the Bible says. He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly, early. So wrong behavior needs to be dealt with promptly. Do I hear an amen? amen. It needs to be dealt with consistently. We need to be consistent in, our, in situations in our lives. People have said, well, what did you do with our kids? We said, really, the thing that helped us through was just consistent discipline, just being consistent with that because they didn't get the message the first time, maybe not the second, third or fourth, but they're going to get it one time if you keep doing it. And you've got to realize kids are going to push and push and push because they want to be in control. They want to control the situations. But what do we see? There has to be a consistency, but not only does there have to be a consistency, there has to be parental agreement. What do I mean by that? We need to have both parents in the house agreeing over the discipline of our kids. I knew I grew up with a family that I used to go to school with and the guy was my age. And what would happen is when the mother would try to discipline the son, guess what? The father would protect the son. You know what ended up happening one day? That boy punched his mom full in the chest. Why? Because there was no consistency and they weren't in agreement. While one was trying to correct, the other was trying to undo the correction. Come on, there has got to be agreement in the house over how you discipline your children. Because if there's no agreement in the house, your house is going to be destroyed. Your children are going to be destroyed and your marriage is going to be taken out in the wake. Why? Because they're going to play you against each other and there's going to be problems in the marriage and in the home. Come on, I wish someone would say amen. Say something in the house. There's got to be agreement in the home. And if one does something that's not in agreement, don't challenge them and undermine their authority in front of the kids. You pull them to the side later. Don't let the kids know it's going on. But you pull them to the side later and say, I don't agree with how you responded right there. And we've got to come to agreement because we need to make sure that the discipline is in order and correctly done in this house. You see, we can't undermine each other's authority. I use this example also in the first service. Sometimes children at school, I think sometimes the teachers wrongly discipline the children and some of their discipline is really petty and really silly what they make them do. But you know what? I don't undermine that that teacher's authority in front of my child. If they come to me, no matter what I think, I'll say, hey, you did something wrong. You need to pay for the crime. You need to do the job. And guess what? I send them off to school with their discipline, whatever needs to be done. And then I pick up the phone and say, hey, can I speak to Miss D? We need to talk. Because I think your discipline behavior is wrong. But I don't undermine the authority in front of my kids. Do you see that? And we cannot do that as parents with each other. So our discipline must be handled promptly, early. It must be consistent and it must be with an agreement together. I want to say this one more thing. Come on, parents, if there's not agreement in the home, you're setting each other up for failure. You're setting each other up for failure. You are taking away uh, just the opportunity of blessing in the home. So it's our responsibility to handle those things that must be handled. We can't be an ostrich and just bury our head in the sand. We've got to realize that these problems have to be dealt with. They're consequences that I need to face. There's things that I need to confront. Say with me, confront. Second thing is we need to correct. Every one of these points we shared last week, there's a key thought. Here's the key thought or the key point when it comes to discipline. Are you ready? Discipline is not a punishment, but it's a correction. Discipline is not a punishment. It's not to inflict harm but it's to give guidance and direction into the life of our children. It involves helping a child amend or alter or improve his or her choices and conduct. It trains them to do what's right. I'm going to punish you and I'm going to... So many times we focus more on the punishment of what they have done wrong instead of educating them and correcting them that next time they will do right. Do you hear me? Discipline is that to correct. Discipline puts the child back on track. I've been put back on track many times. Come on, I I ran off track a whole lot and sometimes it took a lot of correcting to get me back on track. Come on, it took a lot of establishing and re-establishing many times that my dad had to apply to my backside. Come on. To get me back onto that place. Look what Proverbs 19:18 says. It's says, chasten or discipline your son while there is hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction. Discipline your child where there's still hope, where there's still an opportunity to correct, to correct them, to guide them, to teach them and train them. Because if you don't, the last part of that verse, which I believe there's two thoughts there. What does it say? If you don't, you set your heart on their destruction. You destroy your children. How do we destroy our children? Through one by not giving them the discipline that they need. The Bible tells us that if we spare that, we hate them. We've got to give that to them. So we we what we put their destruction in their hearts by not giving them that which they require. But also we can destroy them by giving them the wrong discipline. By crossing the line. Come on, by crossing the line by lashing out, by reacting instead of responding, by losing our cool and doing or saying things that we've got no business to say. So we've got to be very careful when it comes to discipline. You know, there's a debate right now about physical discipline, about whether we should spank our children or whether we shouldn't. We've seen it a lot in the media lately with Adrian Peterson, the running back from the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And many of you have seen the pictures, you've seen and read the stories about his son and all those kind of situations. And what we tend to do is when we see a bad problem like that, we tend to jump to the complete opposite extreme. And I just want to remind you today, just because of one bad experience doesn't make it all wrong. Come on, just because one parent crossed the line and made a mistake doesn't mean that now we need to write off discipline and we can't have any physical because it's all wrong. It's not all wrong. And in fact, from God's word, we read that it is all right. Come on, it's all right, because God says if you spare the rod, you hate your child, you spoil your child, you ruin the opportunity that they have to be trained and to be challenged and to be directed in the right way. It's God's word. So really, no matter what man wants to debate, the greatest thing that we need to look to is God's word. And we need to look to the truth of God's word, how we can be godly in the correction of our children and how we can bring them. I know for me, I thank God for the discipline that my parents had to inflict upon me. I thank God for the strong hand that was laid upon me many times. I thank God for the wooden spoon. I thank God for those things. Why? Because it didn't do me any harm. It just did good for me. And in fact, my parents still tell me, son, you may be 42 years of old, but never forget, you're never too old for me to discipline you and correct you. I'm scared of them, scared of my mum. scared when she's got a wooden spoon in her hand. It brings back flashbacks, brings back memories. But we've got to know that when it's done right, why did it not cause me any harm? Because it was done right. It was done right. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't to inflict pain, but it was always to give the correction. And I always knew why I was being disciplined. I didn't have to question, well, what was that one for? I was always reminded. And I'm glad they told me what it was for because I would have maybe thought it was for something else and said, well, was it for that and would have got something else because (laughs) it's not fun to do. The reality is discipline's not fun. I've been on both ends of the spectrum. It's not fun. It's not fun to have. It's not fun to do. And Hebrews 12 verse 11 tells us that. It says, now no chastening or no discipline Seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. Come on, it's painful. Parents, you know that saying? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Different hurt. Come on, kids, different hurt. It's a different hurt. Inside hurts, a different hurt to a burning backside. Amen? But there's no one enjoys it. The Bible tells us that it's painful. Nevertheless, it's not the end of the thought, is it? Nevertheless, afterwards, after what? After the correction. After the discipline, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have, here it is, been trained, not hurt, not harmed, but those who have been trained in this way. I like what the New Living Translation says. It says, Afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who have been trained in this way. What way? In the act of being disciplined, in having a rod being laid upon us, spare the rod and spool the child. In other words, the nevertheless, I believe, speaks for itself. Now, I know that there are other forms of discipline that you can do. There's verbal discipline where you correct. You should, of course, do those things. There's also time out. A lot of parents use time out. And that's fine, and if that's what you want to do. But here's my thinking. If you want to do timeout, also apply it with God's way, and that is this. While they're sitting in timeout, give them something to think about. Come on, give them something. Come on, let them sit on their problems a little bit and let them burn within them. huh? Come on, let's give them something that while they're sitting in time out, just to consider the consequence of what will happen if they do it again. Not just I sit for five minutes and then I can go straight back. Come on, let them sit on the heat of their decision they made and direct their lives. But you know what? The thing about discipline which is so great is we're following the example of God. Because do you realize that God's word says in Hebrews 12, verse 6, God says, For whom I love, for whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, he disciplines. Have you ever been taken to the woodshed by God? Come on, have you ever been corrected by God and he's had to correct you and set you straight? You didn't always enjoy that, nevertheless. Remember that verse? Nevertheless, as a result of that correction, you were a better and you are a better person today because of that. But what's the key thought in that verse? The key thought and truth is this, those whom he loves. Those he loves. Come on, we correct. We discipline our children because we care. We do it because we love them. We don't do it out of anger. We don't do it out of a reaction. But we do it because we are gathering all the necessary information and drawing the right conclusions and therefore acting in the right manner to bring about the direction that is needed. And the third thing about discipline is this, comfort, comfort. At the time, kids don't feel comforted by discipline. But they will live to be comforted by it. Because I believe that discipline brings not only comfort, but it brings security into your home. Bring security to your kids. Why? Because they see that what they do matters to you. Kids who live in a house where there's no rules, they can think life is great, but there's going to be a moment where they're going to come and they're going to say, parents, why did you not love me enough to correct me and to shape me in the right way? Why? Because it brings a comfort, it brings a future, it brings a hope when it's done properly in each one of our lives. And I think what two ways that we can bring comfort into our home is this when it comes to discipline. Point A is this, that we what? That we set rules and guidelines. I think it's very important in our homes that we set rules and guidelines because if we don't set rules for our children, they will create the rules for us to follow. They really will. If we don't lay down the law, then they will be the sheriffs. They'll lay down the law. And there is no comfort and security and future that can come to a house when the kids are ruling the house. Out of proper order, out of God's order, nothing can function properly. Kids are not called to rule the house. As a father, as a priest ahead, you're called to rule with your wife alongside you. And together, you are the ones that are to make the rules according to God's word. To be established in your home. Let me give you an example of that. If you let your children constantly speak disrespectfully to you, then you are letting them make their own rules. You are letting them, or you are telling them that it's okay for them to speak to you in that manner. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm tired and I'm tired of dealing with it. No, there is a new rule in the house, and that is that you. I've allowed them so it's okay for them. You see what I mean? You've got to be consistent with this. Set the rules. Follow up the rules. Why? Because if not, they're going to make them. It's not okay to be spoken to like that. It's not going to pass. If you're going to be in this house, here's the rules. And here's what you need to abide by. And you need to be fixed and you need to be strong on that. Look at this statement. Rules are inevitable. Meaning really they're unavoidable. But guess what? It's either yours or the kid's. There's going to be rules, but what rules are you following? Yours as the parents or theirs as the kids? Never, 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 though when it comes to discipline, never confront and correct your children in anger. Come on, never do that. Don't react. You've got to respond because when you react in anger, it's a knee jerk. You're going to do things. You're going to say things that you're going to live to regret. And remember, the goal of discipline is not to inflict pain, but the goal of discipline is to get them to a place of comfort where they feel security with that because you care enough to help them and to educate them and train them in the way that they're going to go. And you will never experience comfort in your home if discipline is out of order. If you are confronting and you are out of control in your giving and the, the correcting, there will never be blessing in your house. There will never be the proper order that needs to be. And point B, I think under comfort too, you need to realize that through the laws and through the rules and the guidelines, you also need to institute consequences. Your kids need to know the consequences for breaking those rules. Don't just let them slide. You've got to hold them accountable for it. One of the things that we've done many times in our house is we've taken a lot of cell phones from our kids Come on, they haven't got the grades they need and things are slipping. We'll we'll take the cell phone from them. That's a big punishment for kids right now. But we've got to be very careful that when we institute the consequences that we don't go to the absolute extreme. We've got to make sure that they're realistic, that they're things that we can follow up. Because in our fit of anger, in our fit of rage, what do we want to say? I'm taking your cell phone and you're never getting it back. Come on, we've all said things like that, haven't we? so extreme. You're grounded, how long? For life! I mean, that's stupid. I mean, that's crazy. Set consequences that are sustainable and reasonable and agreed with the spouse, not with the kids. You don't sit down and say, well, kids, what do you think would be reasonable? You're the parents. You set the rules. They have to follow the consequences for breaking them. You decide what happens, but make them realistic. Because the truth is this, if you tell them they lose their cell phone forever and two weeks they give you get it back, they're going to start thinking the same will happen in other areas of their life. You've got to be consistent with what you do. And remember, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but remember we confront, we correct, and we bring comfort. Why? Because we love them. Because we love them, not to punish them, but because we love them and reassure them when you are correcting them. When you're confronting the issues, reassure them of the fact so they know why they're doing or why they're being corrected in what manner, what they've done wrong. Because I'm telling you, if you want to be their friend, you be their parent first. If you want to be your kid's friend, you be their parent first. Mom and dad now are Kelly and I's, some of our best friends. We hang out together. We do a lot of things together. Why? Because my parents were not afraid to be a parent to me when I needed to be parented. Come on, there's still times I need to be parented, and they're still there for that. But more than lo- not most of the time now, they're there as a friend, because I now respect them because of the respect that they show to me as a child, and they loved me enough to discipline me. I didn't always like it. Come on, parents, kids may not always like you, but the reality is we don't always like them either. heard one guy speak the other day and he said, sometimes I like looking at pictures of my kids more than my kids. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's nice to look at the pictures more than the kids because you like the pictures better than the kids. But we're not doing it because of popularity. We're doing it because it's our responsibility. And God's given us the responsibility to train them. The goal, you see, is to train them that one day they'll say thank you thank you. I said that many times to my parents, thank you. And everything I do is a life of thanks. Why? Because they confronted, they corrected, and they built comfort in my life through discipline, through order, through doing what God wants them to do. Amen? Say with me, encourage. Encourage. That's the E of God. That literally means this in the dictionary, to give someone courage, to inspire, to embolden, to hearten. I like those last two, to embolden, to make bold, to hearten, to build a heart inside of them. That's what it means to encourage, to bring courage, to bring hope, to bring future, not to tear down. Unfortunately, we've become better at the latter than the former. We've become better at tearing down than building up. We're really good as parents at identifying everything that's wrong in them with little praising of what's right in them. Because that's a natural tendency we have. The natural tendency is to only correct a child when they're doing the wrong thing. Because after all, it's our responsibility to do that. Yes, it is. But in the process, it's to train them and build them. So we also need to look at ways that we can praise them for the good that they've done. You know, sometimes your kids out of 10, nine of the things they do are wrong. But it's so important to still find that one thing and still to praise them. Yes, you correct and confront the other nine, but yet you still give praise for that one thing because they need that. They need to be built up. Don't only be concerned with what they didn't do. Come on, praise them for what they are doing. Praise them for what is right. Here's the key, okay? Here's the key thought for encouragement. Are you ready? Here's the key thought. In a room full of voices... They will hear your voice above all others. In a room full of voices, in a world of voices, your voice is going to mean more to them and have a greater impact on their life than any other voice. What is your voice saying? Come on, they're going to be listening in the stands from the football game for your voice above every other coach and everything. They're going to be listening. Why? Because they want to hear that you're proud of them. They want to hear your encouragement. They want to hear your support. Come on, they want to hear that because it really is important to them. I was reading in that book, Love and Respect, and I was reading in that book, and listen to what it says. My father was very critical. He would spend one minute building me up. So I could withstand the next 59 minutes when he knocked me down. It's maybe your story. It's maybe your home. That one minute you were given praise, so the next 59 minutes you could tear them down. That's not encouraging them. That's destroying them. That's not building them up. And we all need to do, hey, listen, I'll be the first one to admit I've got I've got some homework to do on this message. I've got some things that I need to change. Because it's so easy to see the faults before the good things. Come on, it's so easy to say, well, I'll get to that, but let's start here. that so many times we never get to the good things because the bad things just get more and more and more and more. Listen to this quote from Dr. Emerson. He says these words. Love this quote. He says, there is a hole in the heart of every child that needs to be filled by loving affirmation from a mum and a dad. Encouragement is foundational for children to succeed as God intended in this world for them to be. The Lord has designed all kids to need encouragement. To need encouragement. Your children need to hear you say, You can do this. Your children need you to say, Come on, you can be that. Your children need to hear you say, Come on, good job. Good job. Keep going. They long and they thrive on your encouragement and they will die without it. Or they will find encouragement from another source. And you don't want other sources to be the source of what God has called you as parents to be to your family. Because they'll lead your family in the wrong direction and in the wrong way. Look at Paul. I love the word of God. And we can draw parallels to our life. Look at the life of Paul. Paul is absolutely incredible. He wrote, I believe, 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. That's a lot. Nearly half of the New Testament Paul writes. And they are called epistles. They're letters to churches, to places, to people. He is writing them for what reason? If you would read his epistles, he's writing most of the time to correct error in their lives. There's things that have been done and no one else has been man enough to step up and to address those issues. So Paul, under the inspiration of God, the leading of God, he now is addressing the issues and the problems. And there's some tough stuff that he's addressing. He's addressing some really tough stuff that people had got so used to doing and they didn't want to hear correction in any way. But guess how Paul corrects them? Paul doesn't write letters and say, you're the scum of the earth. Paul doesn't say, watch out tomorrow, because when you go outside, there's probably going to be lightning and it's going to like, destroy your life. Paul, yes, corrects the issues. He doesn't mince his words. He is very direct with them. But you know what he does? He does it in a spirit of encouragement. Why? Because he tells them, you're never going to fulfill the potential that God has for your life while you're living that way. He reminds them of who God has called them to be, that greater is he that is in them. He reminds them of the absolute awesomeness of God and how they are settling for so much less than God. So what does he do? He corrects with encouragement. He gives them hope through the encouragement a reason for the correction. Why? Because you're better than that. Come on, you were made to be better than that. You weren't made to be the tail, you're made to be the head. You're not made to be below, you're made to be above. And he reminded them of that. We need to do that in our homes. Yes, we correct, but we encourage, we remind them of what God has called them to be. And that's better than where they're at right now. And look at the example from 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. We see this. He says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and we charged. That thought they're charged means to correct. He has charged them. He's come in and say, hey, I charge you. You need to change. You need to do things. But what does he say? I've charged every one of you as I would as a father. Come on, as I need to do in my home, does to his own children, Verse 12, here's the hope of correction, of encouragement in the right way. He says that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and into his glory. How does Paul leave them? He doesn't leave them feeling bad. Oh, I don't like correction. Oh, he's mad man. He leaves them with a good taste in their mouth, that they can walk worthy. Their chest is out and they're saying, man, we're going to change. We're going to make a difference. Why? Because he corrects with encouragement. He encourages them. Look at Colossians three twenty one. It says, "Fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become what? Discouraged. You kill courage in them. You deflate their lives." The Message Bible says. Or you will crush their spirits. Parents, when you provoke your children, you crush their spirits. When you just focus on the bad and you don't praise that which is good, you deflate them, you destroy them, you make them feel worthless. Come on, they have no confidence, they have no hope, their ability is questioned, their future is questioned. Why? Just because of the way that you are saying things. We've got to instill into our children belief that they can turn the corner. We've got to instill into them that this is a new week and you can do better than you did last week. We can encourage them in those things. Look what it says in Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Why would I use that scripture? Paul is in jail at this time and he is writing, you know what? It's okay that I'm in jail. It's okay that I'm bound. It's okay that I'm in prison. Why? Because this thing that's happened to me, good is going to come out of it for the kingdom of God. I believe that you can find good in every bad situation. It's so easy, as I said, just to jump on all the bad. I believe that you can find good in a situation that the furtherance of the gospel, that life can be given into your homes, into your families. There's always a positive side if we're going to look for it. And I want to give you three ways I think you can encourage your kids. Are you ready? Number one, in life. Encourage them in life. Life happens, meaning not everything goes to plan. Not everything goes well in life. There's rough times in life. There's some tough lessons that you learn in life. Some tough things in life. And you've got to teach your kids and encourage them in life. Amidst it all, you've got to bring that hope and comfort and reassurance in a world that doesn't always make sense. Look for giving them that, just that simple word. Maybe it's a pat on the back. Maybe it's a special gift. Maybe it's an adventure, a date night. Just do something. Look for a way in life to encourage your kids. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be expensive. What they need is your interest. They need your concern. They need your time. They just need you. Look for ways that you can take lessons of life and build and instill into their life, giving them hope and future. Make time for that, because if you don't make time for your kids, the world has all the time that they will ever need. You make the time, because the world is chomping at the bit, wanting to invest everything into your children, and to encourage them in the way it should go. No, we're encouraging them in the way that God wants them to go. And that's the way what God wants us to do. And it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. It's not just what you do, it's how you do it. You know, I think a great lesson of life that you can teach your kids is this, not to quit, not to be a quitter, not to be a quitter, but to follow through when they make a commitment that they would go through it. Come on, there needs to be a finish to what they start. Come on, we need that in our lives. I know a story last year with us, with Luke. He he signed up for a football team in our local community and it ended up not being a good situation at all. It ended up being that they never let him play. He had to show up for practices four nights a week, two hours a night. It was just a miserable situation to the fact that Luke was almost crying nearly every night because he didn't want to go to football. Now, you can say, man, as a good parent, you would have said, well, just don't go. Is that really being a good parent? Because what we said to Luke is this. If you're going to make a commitment and start something, you're going to complete it. Because it's not always nice and it's not always easy. But we encouraged him every day. Luke, he did another day. We've only got X amount of practices. Come on, you've got this. And we encouraged him. When he finished it at the end, he stuck his chest out. Why? Because he had an accomplishment because he didn't quit something. Come on, we've got to watch that sometimes there can be impulse. Sometimes they can have a bad practice. Sometimes through whining, they can manipulate us into making a hasty decision for their life. I think a great lesson in life that we can teach our kids is not to quit but to see the value in finishing. Come on, to see the value in completing that job. Kids don't always want to be responsible and they'll take the easy way out if they can. And that's why the best ability that you can teach your kids is stickability. Did you hear me, parents? The best ability that you can teach your kids is stickability. No, we're going to ride it out and we're going to make it through. Because what may just be a sports team today or what may just be a summer job that they don't like their boss. Guess what? It's going to be a career change when they're older and they're just going to quit because they don't like the boss. Or they're going to walk out on a marriage. Why? Because you didn't instill into them the fact the importance of finishing what you started. And that's what you've got to do. Come on, teach them the lessons. Encourage them in life. Encourage them in church. So many people, and I could preach for weeks on this, so many people you see, well, where are you at? Well, we're having problems. Well, Why are you not in church? Well, because there's problems. You need to be in church if there's problems. You need to be in the house. You need to be in the house more when there's problems. And that's not really true because you need to be in the house more, period. But you need to be in the house. I just had to talk with someone the other day. I haven't seen them for weeks. Said, what's the deal? Well, I was really hurt by someone. And I am just going went to another church. I was like, man, you know what? What example are you teaching your kids? You teach them that someone hurts you, so you just uproot and you go. What if God has placed you here? What if God has planted you here? You know what a tree does in a storm? It drives its roots deeper down. And that's what we've got to do. There's always going to be storms, but the best ability we can teach is stickability. Stay in the house. Stay in the ship. You've got a lot more chance in a storm to stay in the ship than you do to jump ship. We need to have that stickability. We teach them that. That's just a bonus for you. Second thing is this. You teach them and encourage them in who and in what. and who they are and what they do. Encourage them. Be their number one cheerleader. Every child is different. Their are are different. Their passions are different. Their talents, their gifts are different. But Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, We are to train them up in the way they should go. Notice in the way they should go. Train them up in their character traits. Train them up in their giftings and their abilities according to God's word. But when you see talents inside of them, then utilize those, build those talents, strengthen those talents. Look for the talent of of discipline, honesty, helpfulness, fairness, serving others, perseverance, you know, being teachable, respectful. Look at all those traits in your kids and what? Instruct them, educate them, encourage them in who they are and what God has made them. Never to be ashamed of who God made you and what you can do with that. Encourage them with that. Build their future. Because remember, what we believe our children to be, they often become. What we believe our children to be, they often become. But we've got to watch not only to correct what needs to be corrected, remember? That we forget to praise that which is worthy of praise. You know, one of our kids lied to us the other week. I know, shocking. I know it happens in our house too. I know you probably don't think it does. One of our kids lied to us the other week. I mean, just, hey, it was just a lie. There's no way you could say it It was just an absolute lie. And Kelly finally went back to them about two weeks later and said, listen, what's the deal? Because you said this and this and there's no way. And finally they came around and said, you know what, mom, I was lying. I'm sorry. Uh, And all these kind of things. What do you do in a situation like this? Here's what you do. You've got to correct and you've got to praise. You've got to look to encourage as well as correct. What do you do? You turn around and say to them, thanks for telling me the truth. However, that doesn't make up for the fact that you lied to me earlier. There's consequences for that, but thanks for telling. You encourage even in the fact that they have lied to you. Yeah, you can find an encouragement in that because now they've told you the truth. And encourage them that the truth is always the best way to go. The truth will set them free. Come on, that's word of God. And even if you think your kids aren't noticing what you say and what you do, believe me, they are. Encourage them. Last thing you encourage them, you encourage them in their future. You invest in them. And it's so important to encourage them in their future and not your past that you're trying to live out in their future. Did you catch that? You encourage them in their future, not your past that you weren't able to fulfill. So now you look and see them as the opportunity for you to be able to live out your life in them. That's not what you're called to do. You're not called to live out your life through your kids. You're called to instruct them to live out the life that God wants them to live. What does that mean? Don't manipulate the process for your self-serving purpose. You've got to be very careful. Too often, parents want their kids to succeed where they've failed, which is not always a bad thing, but sometimes it can be. If you didn't have a great upbringing, of course, we want a greater upbringing for our kids, but if you maybe weren't good at math, you tried to force them into math, maybe they're not good at math like you were We've got to watch that we don't try to live out the things that we weren't able to do through them because it's their future. Encourage them, discuss it with them, train them in that and lay the tracks of what? Potential for their future, not resentment for their future. Lay the tracks. And in encouragement, like with most things, it's still important to have a balance. Come on, you can't just praise all the time can't be good. All the, there's got to be a balance. You can't set unrealistic goals and expectations. You've got to have a balance. And the balance is you be truthful and you do it in love. Amen? And last but not least, say with me, supplication. Almost done. It's prayer. That word prayer or supplication means to ask, petition for humbly and earnestly. I love that. Humbly saying, God, I can't do it on my own. That's what it humbly means to me. R- free of pride. God, I need your help to raise my kids. God, I come to you in a prayer. Humbly, I come before you. But notice I also come to you earnestly. What does that mean? With what? With repeat. I'm not just coming once, but I'm coming with a rep- I'm just repetitive. I'm coming after that. I'm being diligent in that. I'm just coming earnestly. I-, I want that for my kids. And that's how we should pray. If we don't get the answer, keep praying. If we don't see the breakthroughs, keep praying because I'm humbly before you, God, and I'm coming with earnesty. And it's vital that we pray for our children, our families, our spouse, and ourselves. Why? Because as parents, we have limitations. Did you know you have limitations? You may think you're Superman, but watch out for kryptonite. We all have limitations in our life. Even superheroes have limitations, and you're not superhero. There's things that we can't do. There's things that are beyond our ability, but there's... Things, though those things are never beyond his ability. He's able to do what you cannot do. But you know what prayer does? Here's something that God gave me this week. You can quote me on this. And that is this. Here's the key thought for prayer. Are you ready? Prayer includes him into the equation so he can solve the problem. You like that? Prayer includes God into the equation so what? He can solve the problem. There's no problem solver like my God. He knows exactly what's needed and how it's needed and when it's needed. But when I pray, I include him in and say, God, I need your help. Would you come? Would you lead and direct? You know, in the Gospels, we read accounts of parents who brought their children to Jesus. And they brought their children to Jesus for him to pray for them. Look what it says in Matthew 19, 13. Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. I love that. What a beautiful picture that when I pray, I'm bringing my kids to God that he can put his hand upon them. Isn't that beautiful? That he can put his hand upon them. What a beautiful image of prayer that God's hand would be upon them. And he prayed. But notice the disciples rebuked them. There was those around that said, what are you doing? They didn't understand. There's always going to be people that don't understand the power of prayer. They don't understand. Even your kids are going to say, ma'am, why do you keep praying for me? Keep praying. Because I'm telling you, even though people may not understand the importance, don't let their disbelief silence your prayers. You keep praying, you keep believing. And parents, pray for yourself. Every one of us, we need to pray for ourselves. Pray for what? It's so important. Pray for godly instruction that God would lead us and guide us, that we would be the proper example. Pray for wisdom. The Bible says in James 1:5, if you lack wisdom, ask. God wants to give. Man, we need wisdom. Knowledge is great, understanding is awesome. But wisdom is the application of that knowledge and wisdom, or, or knowledge and understanding. It's putting it to work. We need godly wisdom of putting things to work. Pray that God would give you a consistency in your life. But as we close today, here's what I want us to do. When you came in church today, you should have received one of these cards. If you didn't receive one, there should be one on the way out that you'll get. Please don't leave here without one of these today. But about a year ago, we preached a message on a parent's prayer and the prayer that we as parents need to pray over our kids. I want every family to have one of these cards. I pray this over my kids every day when I take them to school. Uh, And I want you to pray this over them. And we're just going to go through it really quick, okay? So we're giving you five key points of what to pray. Number one, that you would pray that there would be a light in darkness, a light in darkness. Look what the scripture says in Matthew. It says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but they put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house, So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know the greatest attribute of light is this, it expels darkness. That means that darkness cannot stand in its presence. It means when light shines, darkness has to go. It can be the smallest amount of light, but it conquers even the darkest darkness. And that's what you've got to encourage your kids every day. Teach them to never be ashamed to shine for God. Come on, teach them the darker the night, the brighter the light. That which is inside of them can shine brighter. Teach them not to curse the darkness around them and say, oh man, I can't believe you brought me and had me in a world like this. Don't let them curse the darkness. Come on, teach them to light a candle. Teach them to be a beacon of hope to the world around. Every day pray that they would be a light in their schools. Explain to them what that means, that you can be an example for God, that you can help other people around. Come on, teach them to shine, not wine. Come on, to be a shiner for God. And number two, teach them that they would be a leader and not a follower. I want you to be a leader and not a follower. Look what the scripture says here. It says this in Joshua. It says, you have the next scripture, please. And it says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land we dwell. But notice what Joshua says, but as for me and my hats, we're going to serve the Lord. doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, he says, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua was living an example. Come on, he was living in his home amongst his children, amongst those closest to him. He was being an example to them, not just in his words, but in his actions and who he was. He was showing them what they knew need to be. Come on, parents, show our kids the leader that they need to be. Show them it's okay just because everyone else is bowing, they don't have to bow, that they can stand up, that they can be different and it's okay. Come on, teach them that they can have a confidence in God, that no matter what, he's never going to leave them or forsake them, but yet God stands for those who make a stand. Come on, teach them to be leaders and not followers. A leader doesn't mean that they're always going to be the head of the class. But a leader means what? That they don't have to succumb to every circumstance and situation. Because not every kid is going to be a leader in that regard. Not everyone is going to be the captain of the team. But you can be a leader at whatever level that you're at. Come on. Teach them that, the importance. You don't have to be at the front of the line to lead the line. Come on. don't have to be at the front to lead the line. You can lead a line from the back in just a way. Why? Following the example of those in front of you and setting a new example. Teach them that. Number three, teach them that they should always do right even if no one is watching. Look what it says in Proverbs 4, verse 11 through 15. It says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right path. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let her go for she is your your life. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it and pass on. What is the instruction there? You know the way to go, that's the way you need to go. Come on, there is a way that's right, you need to follow that right way, the right way of God. Teach them to do what's right, even if no one is watching, but teach your kids this, that the most important person is always watching that God is always watching what you do, and he's the one that counts. Come on, teach them not to worry about pleasing everyone else, but to please him, because when they please him, come on, their lives will be blessed. The right way is still the right way and not the wrong way. It's a narrow way and it's difficult. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14 says, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, as many find it, but narrow and difficult is the way. But what does it do? It leads to life. Teach them that to always do the right thing, even if no one is watching, is a way of life for them. And last, oh, the fourth point, if you can turn the light on, we're going to bring the kids in here in a minute and we're going to pray together as a family. But Number four is this, that they would be strong in temptation. Notice, it's not a case of if, but when. Because temptation is going to come. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Remind your kids that the faithful God is greater than any temptation, that God is greater than anything, that they can speak and ask God and pray and trust that God is going to help them to overcome even the greatest temptations. Teach them to place their trust in him constantly. And that's not something you teach them that they'll grow out of. That's something they need to grow into continually in their lives. And last but not least, point number five, that God would protect them. Remind God of his promise. I love the promises of Psalms 91, but listen to this scripture. It says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you gash your foot against a stone. I'm praying every day that God would give his angels charge over my children, that they would lift them up, that they would protect them, that they would sustain them. That they would help them in everything they do. Because we don't know the predators. We don't know the darkness that's waiting. But I'm telling you, we know the light is greater than the darkness. And we can pray the protection of God. You may call it strange all you want. But I thank God for goodness and mercy. Because you know what? There are two angels that have followed me all my life. Because God says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Parents, pray for your kids. Pray for your kids because prayer makes a difference. It's amazing someone said how many coincidences happen when we pray. Listen, there are no coincidences what happen when we pray, just answers. Just answers because God answers our prayers. And as I said, in a few moments, our kids are going to be coming in and they're going to be coming to find you. And when they find you in a few moments, we're going to stand together and we're going to pray and we're going to do two things. Kelly and I are going to pray for each one of you as families. Just going to really pray God's blessing upon you and your homes. But then what we're going to ask is every one of you as as parents that you pray this over your kids. We're going to put it up on the screen, the five points that we had. And we want each one of you just in your home, in your own environment, get your kids, your family around you. And we're just going to pray together and we're going to ask for God just to bless them in every way and just to instruct them and to give them what they need. They're coming in right now, so they're going to be coming. But listen, come on, let's look for ways just to really build our families. Come on, I'm tired of the craziness. I want to see the energizing. I want to see God move. I want to see God bless. I want to see homes greater than they have ever been before so if you've got some kids that are coming in right now they're just going to come to you if they're in the nursery we left them in the nursery because it would just be too much to bring all the babies in here but here's all the young men and women just when they come to you we're going to pray together is that good we're just going to pray together just a few other moments In comes the last let's all just stand together right now with our families kelly perhaps you could come up here with me and we're going to pray together we're just going to believe with you come on luke come up here with us son going to pray together any other of our kids here I think they're all left in nursery and different things serving today that's awesome that's awesome we want you to, perhaps you don't have a family today but you do you have us as your family and there's something very important you may say well I don't have a family I don't have kids to pray over you have something to pray over you know what that is your own life If you're just a husband and wife with no kids, you still have something to pray over. And you know what that is? Your life, your family, each other. If you're not married, then pray this over your life. Pray this over you. Because we don't want anyone to stand on their own today. We just want everyone to know today that they've got a family. They've got the support and the love of people around. But Kelly and I are going to pray for you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask you and your family just to begin to pray those points. Come on, fathers, take the lead in your home. Begin to pray over your family, over your kids. Just gather together. If you want to get out of your row and stand in the aisle or come to the front, if you just want to gather around together, come on. We want you to pray over your families that God's blessing and God's Spirit would be upon them. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray for every family and home. God, Kelly and I just speak life into every home today. God, we thank you that family matters, our family matters, and what we do really matters. And God, we just pray that God, as parents, God, we would instruct those in the way that they should go, that God, there would be wisdom and God in their lives, God, that you would help us every step of the way. God, give us wisdom, God, to know that God, we're not to be a friend, but to be a parent first. And in being a parent is the greatest friend that our kids would ever need. And God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that we would apply the truth, God, from your word, that we would give to them, we would understand, we would instruct, we would discipline, God, we would encourage, we would pray for them with supplication, God, we would give them what we need, God, to see the right responses in our home, God, to motivate the love to motivate the respect. And God, we come against every lie of the enemy that's trying to divide homes and trying to divide families. We speak life right now. We speak future. We say that we're going to be one as husband and wife. We're going to be one in our discipline. We're going to be one in our order. We're going to do everything we can to support each other, to help each other, to build each other, to build our family. And God, we thank you that we'll be in the house. God, we make a commitment to have our families planted in the house. That every time we'll be here, we'll lead them by example. We'll never send them, but God, we will lead them and bring them and be here with them, God. That we will be the godly parents and example that they need to be. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on.
1: We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.